Thanks, Catherine. So it's, it's Easter morning and there's victory over death and that means that we get full access. Our debt is paid and we have communion with God. And we started talking about that last week um, using the phrase, a good biblical phrase, <coughs> abiding. And just as a reminder, what that means we can dine at the table with the Trinity and that they come and they make their abode with us. And after class last week, um, Andy and I were talking and he had this great example where you can imagine it because the scripture says it so, that if they're coming to make their abode with us, you've got the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And when you go to work, they're with you. When you go home, they're with you. When you're in the carpool lane, they're with you. When you go to the grocery store, they're with you. They come and make their abode with us. And that's a pretty powerful thing. And I was talking to you last week about being home at my parents' house and as an adult, listening to their perspective about things that happened 10, 15, 20 years ago, 30 years ago. And in my childhood perspective, I, I was very limited, but seeing what they had to say years later made everything kind of come into focus and come into view. And they were able to say things like, oh, we didn't tell you about this. This was happening. You were too little to understand. Or it broke our heart when, if it was we had to move you across the country in your high school years, you know, just to hear this perspective because mine was so egocentric as a, as a child or a teen or a youth. And so I could get wisdom. I could get revelation about things just by going back and asking, what did you think about this when this happened? What were your thoughts about me? What were you guys dealing with? It's, it's important to look back. And I would say sometimes we really need to look back at things. You could look back for something that happened yesterday, or you could look back years ago, and in that place of abiding, which Jesus' finished work on the cross says we have full access to do, this is the same Jesus who says, I will never leave you, I will never forsake you, I will never fail you. It's important to look back and get his perspective on things. And so that might be a, a new idea or a strange idea or maybe even make you a little bit uncomfortable. So we have to ask, well, why would we want to go back and look at things with Jesus? Well, I want you just for a moment to, and this is very personal to you, so you don't have to worry about the person sitting next to you. Just take a moment and think about the things in your life that have wounded you, maybe the people who were involved in wounding you, maybe think about traumatic things. Now, traumatic things are relative. One person's trauma isn't another person's trauma, but you'll know if it's trauma. It tends to stick around. It tends to replay itself and revisit with you. Think about hard times. And I know all of you in this room, just based on your age, have one of those, at least one, maybe more. Hard times, wounded things, traumatic things, things that hurt. And then think on the opposite of that. We are a proud, self-sufficient people, aren't we? We believe in picking ourselves up by our bootstraps and moving on and bucking up and toughing it out because we are strong. And we live in a society that says we're supposed to get on and move on and get over it. And I would say sometimes that works. But all of you in here know that sometimes it doesn't. Either you know it for yourself or you've seen people that you love try really hard to make it better and they just can't. And so we try to move on and we just stuff these bags of pain that continues to get triggered and continues to do damage, even if it's a quiet damage. Maybe you don't share the damage with anyone, but your mental damage, the things that you fight with, 
the torment that you have on a regular basis, it gets triggered and it does damage and it continues to damage. And often it damages the people around us too. So we want, and I would say we need, to invite Jesus into those places. And here's my three reasons for why I think we need to. One, all of those verses, and we touched on them last week and sent them to you late yesterday just to refresh your mind if you're on our email list. Jesus never leaves us. He sees it all, he saw it all, and he can see right through us. I was listening to a Good Friday service and the person who was leading it, I loved what he said. He said, this is the Jesus who looks right through us. This is the same Jesus who looked at Peter and said, you are going to deny me three times before the rooster crows. Yet, Peter, I see right through you, you are going to be the rock on which I build my church. I want that Jesus, that Jesus who has the present knowledge and the future knowledge, and the past knowledge, he was around Peter, he knew exactly what Peter was made of and what he was about. I want that Jesus on my team because that Jesus, he is not bound by time. Past, present, future, he can work in them, he can go back and forth, he will work in them, but he's not bound like we are. Just like my earthly parents could sit at the table with me and go, do you remember 10, 15, 20 years ago? This was what was really happening. Don't you think that Jesus, not bound by time, has even greater perspective then and what it does to us now and in the future? Despite this, Peter, you are going to be this guy. This is who I see when I look through you and all this stuff. You're going to be this guy. So Jesus never leaves us and he is not bound by time, but he'll work in it to help us out. Second thing, he lives to make intercession for us. In that same set of verses, which is so applicable to this weekend, Peter, I pray that your faith will not fail. That's Jesus making intercession, knowing Peter's past, present, and future. I pray that your faith may not fail and that you will turn back to me after denying me because I know this is where you're going. You are the rock. I want that faithful Jesus on my team, making intercession for me in the places that I'm struggling, the places I'm in, the places that I'm going to. I want that kind of power on my team. And then my favorite reason why we need to ask Jesus and invite Jesus into these places. Biblically, and you can look it up later and I'll tell you where to look. You cannot transform, you cannot change from your old into something new there's only two ways to do it. Romans 12:2, you have to renew your mind. We all know that verse, right? 2 Corinthians 3:18, with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord. That's a really specific verse. With unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord, we get transformed in the same image one degree to another. Now those are beautiful verses and we've heard them all the time. I don't think you can actually renew your mind unless you behold him in some way. You just can't. You can make a stab at it and maybe have some measured success by just trying to cognitively get better, be better. We were talking with our kids about this at dinner last night, just talking about why do we need a savior? Why is it so important? And they just started to list, even in our very beautiful Saturday that we spent together, 
well, I thought this and I did this and I said this to my sibling. Like we can try really hard, but we can't get renewed unless we behold him. We have to behold Jesus to change, to transform. This past week, I'm, I'm a big fan of hymns and I, I put some abiding hymns in the email because I, I made sure last week it was in your hymnal because I grew up Southern Baptist. I said, I want to make sure we have the same hymns and we do, we're good. And so um, abide, abide with me, abide in me, that's a great hymn and there's so many versions of it. I encourage you to listen to it. Another hymn that struck me this week in Holy Week is um, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross. What a gorgeous hymn. And there's this line that struck me, and we were talking about it last night too, because one of my kids actually asked, what does that mean to pour contempt on all my pride? My richest gain I count but lost and pour contempt on all my pride. And we started talking about all the different ways that plays out. I'm gonna make a case this morning that if you want to be in a daily, hourly practice of pouring contempt on all your pride, you invite Jesus and you ask him into every part of your life. Because our nature is to fix it ourselves, to do it ourselves, to be the solution, and kind of whether we recognize it or not, say on the other side, well, I made it through that. I, was, I did all right, I did good. No, no, we have to pour contempt on that kind of pride and say, Jesus, I'm stuck. Jesus, I still remember like it was yesterday what happened 10 years ago, 15 years ago. Jesus, I'm an adult person now, but I remember what that seven-year-old kid felt like. And every time someone says something remotely similar to what I heard at seven, I bristle at it. Jesus, I think maybe I'm not as okay as I think I am. Jesus, I know what's true in my head, but in my heart, I am wrestling this with you. I am struggling, and when I really take a moment to stop and be still, I am uncomfortable with the anger, the sadness, the bitterness, the things that I feel about the thing that happened yesterday, five years ago, 10 years ago, and beyond. A great way to pour contempt on our pride, to stuff it and move on, is to let Jesus search your heart and actually give the wisdom and the answers and the revelation. That's what we're talking about. That's a piece of abiding. That's acknowledging he was not absent in those times because scripture says he does not leave us. He lives to intercede. He lives by his spirit to counsel and provide wisdom. Do we let him do that? That's, that's what the cross is about. That's a piece of it at least. He, he didn't do it to say, okay, it's done. I'll see you guys in heaven, figure it out. No, he did it so there could be a communion that we just grow into and walk into the other side with. It does not sound like a holy God to say, see ya, you've got your ticket. The cross was about communion. It was about love. And he, he did it so we could have that. And the question this week is, do, do we have it? Do we pour contempt on our pride? Do we submit and say, Jesus, I need your help? And I'll acknowledge it's scary the first time, if you've never done it before, especially if you have some pretty broken pieces, some things you'd rather not go back and look at. It's a scary place to say, Jesus, I'm gonna ask you into this situation, but I don't even know what I think about it. I wanna encourage you, really bank on John 16, 13. Jesus guides us into all truth. When's the last time you let him 
guide you. You know, I think about hiking and you don't know where you're going. There's a process there. If he's guiding you into all truth, it may take a couple minutes, may take an hour, may take some rerouting, may take some stepping over some boulders, it may take moving out some brush, but he can guide you into all truth if we let him. And I know how we work, I know how I work. He's not gonna play games with your heart. A holy God doesn't do that. A holy God doesn't say, I'm gonna give you a little bit of my love, but I'm gonna keep some of it and you've gotta now work for it or earn the right to have it. He doesn't tease you. And I know as I say that you think, well, of course he doesn't, but when we get before him, sometimes we worry that he might. I've prayed with enough people to know that this is true. His love is so good and that cross was so sufficient that he does not hold anything back if you ask him. If you seek him and you say, like on a hike where I don't know where I'm going, I need you to guide me into all truth. He isn't a narcissist. It's not like he somehow needs your love to feel better about himself. His love is so perfect and he knows that he's the good gift and he's waiting like this. I have it all, all you have to do is ask. And so the next question that comes with asking him is, can you miss it? Could you ask him and completely miss what he's trying to say? Absolutely, yes. And that's okay, there's a precedent in the Bible for practicing and missing with God. And there are several. I'm going to give you one that's really applicable for today. The resurrected Jesus is walking on the road to Emmaus. And he is in the flesh. He's right there. He's talking with those men and they missed it. But what I love about that passage and it's appropriate for today they're walking and talking with him and they're asking questions and their pain about the situation is sort of coming out, right? And he's answering them and the scripture says their eyes were prevented from recognizing him at first. So what makes us think that sometimes ours are prevented? You know, like we can miss it sometimes. They're walking and they're talking and they're questioning and they're busy. And here's what I love. It isn't till they sit down at the table for communion that their eyes are opened. All the things we were talking about last Sunday about sitting at the table with the Trinity in that comfortable abiding place, they sit down with him to take communion and it's like, there he is. But all the things leading up to that point, that was good, that was important. He's guiding them into all truth, him being the truth, right? There's a precedent there for figuring it out. And once they figured it out, they said, oh, all this time on the road, weren't our hearts burning? Didn't we sort of know? I want to encourage you as you begin, if you've never done it before, to let Jesus guide you into all truth. It's okay if you have this section right here where you think, man, he, I think this is him. It sounds like him. I, he seems to know what he's talking about. My heart's burning. I don't know. And then boom, you know it when you know it. Because last week we talked about how the Trinity comes and they are, you know them, you know. There's no missing it. They make their appearance and you're either gonna know it in your heart, you're gonna sense it, but you'll know that you know when you're in that abiding place. And they got to it, but there's this whole place on the road to Emmaus where they're figuring it out. It's okay to figure it out. We can invite Jesus and he will often make himself known and he'll make his abode with us. So how do we do that? When we're talking about looking at the past, we know from last week, we can invite Jesus into our daily life, in the car, at school, at work, with our family, 
at the store, at the Easter egg hunts, we can just simply acknowledge that the Trinity's there and say, what are you doing? One of my favorite questions to ask the Trinity, any member of the Trinity, is when I'm out in public, and I don't do this every time, I've, I've tried to build a practice more and more, I'll walk into the grocery store and as I'm getting my cart, come on in, I get my cart and I say, God, what are you doing in here today? What are you about? Where's your heart? Where are you? Who, who are you really invested in? And so I'll just open myself up to, I, they have come to make their abode with me. We're in this together. Jesus, what are you doing here? Where are you? This is yours, whether they acknowledge it or not. Kroger belongs to you, everybody in it. What are you doing? What's this about? So that's inviting Jesus in the good places. How do you invite him in the hard places, the scary places, the places where we've had damage and wounding? Well, I would say if you know those places and you know exactly, okay, I remember this in 1990 when this happened and it, it hurt me and I wrestled with it for years, you can simply just say, Jesus, where were you and what were you about then? In that scenario, when I felt wounded and alone and I was scared or hurt, where were you? Now, for some of you, maybe you don't even look all the way back to that place. You just know that you get triggered. Maybe your anger flares up or you feel insecure or you want to push people away. And that time you just identify, well, how am I feeling right now? And just like we've taught you in previous weeks, where did that start? God, will you show me when I first felt that way? Because you weren't born feeling that way. Pretty likely that you were not. Will you show me the first time I just felt fearful and not trusting people in authority. When did that happen? Will you show me the root of why I'm feeling the way I am today? I know I wasn't born that way, so somewhere in this timeline, it started. And once you do that, you say, God, what, what did I believe when that happened for the first time? And for those of you who know exactly where it happened, what did I believe when this played out? God, will you show me? Because remember, they're there. They make their abode with you. You're at the table with them. They come and they meet with you. That's biblical. So I don't know about you. I don't live in my house with my family and not talk to them, right? We're supposed to be in communication with the Father, with Jesus, with the Holy Spirit. So you go back and you say, God, what did I believe? What got fixed here? What got started so that now it keeps playing out? And often it's pretty hurtful and often it's traumatic. What did I believe? And then you invite truth. Jesus is the truth, right? He's the way. So you invite him, Jesus, will you give me a sense about where you were and what you thought there? And we don't force God. We don't say, I'm demanding you come and do this right now. We ask him. And there's a billion ways to have conversation with the people you love. You can ask him a lot of questions about what played out. Jesus, will you, will you tell me where you were and what you thought about me? And you might say, well, I, I don't need to know that. That's a little too personal. That's a little too intimate. Maybe, but the more desperate you are and the more wounded you've been, you'll ask him because you need to know. And we should all really be in this desperate posture to say, I have got to know where you were, what you were thinking. I need that perspective that I did not have. Because the enemy's greatest weapon in pain and wounding and trauma is to make us think that God was busy. 
that God was absent, that God, although he's mighty and he, he's for you, he was, he was off doing something else, or worse, he was ashamed of you, he turned the other way. And I know that there are at least a handful, maybe more in this room who felt that way. And the event that just shaped them and rocked them, and even though they've tried to move on and live a good Christian life, there's this thing that made them go, well, where was God? What was he doing? He's supposed to be my best and my protector and my shield, but where was he when this happened? And that's the enemy's greatest weapon in any of those things that really shape us and rock us and harm us. His greatest weapon is to make us forget and to really feel in the moment that he was gone, that he was doing something else. So the biggest weapon, because remember, we don't, fight, we don't fight with fleshly weapons. We fight with the Spirit, right? Is to go to the Spirit of God and say, no, I know that's not true, even though it felt true. Jesus, will you remind me what was true in that scenario? I'll give you the, in my mind, kind of a worst case scenario. I prayed with lots of women who have had really bad trauma, rape and abuse and all sorts of things. And continual over the course of years and when they in their desperate place asked Jesus where were you when that happened in 20 years I have never seen him not make himself known that scripture of they will make themselves known they will come and make their abode it's like that now the individual who was abused or victimized they may not know every detail to why but they don't need to once the Trinity in some form shows up. That has been my experience. They get the answers that they need. I'm not about to give them to them because I cannot transform them. I could tell them all day, this is not your fault. This was a crime. I, Jennifer, cannot transform them or renew their mind no matter how badly I may want to. Only Jesus can do that. And so to transform, they have to behold him in some form or fashion, and we take our hands off how that looks. Some people hear a scripture, and all of a sudden it's not just hearing it here, it just goes, whoom. And there's no other way I know to say that than whoom. Like it goes to their gut, and they go, oh, that's him talking. Some people see him in their mind's eye, just like you could see what happened yesterday in your mind's eye. They see some sort of image of Jesus. And, and it's powerful when they do. I would not attempt to make that up or say, now you're going to see Jesus. We don't do that. We just give him room. I think you prayed it at the beginning. If we just give him room, if we give him room to be God, he has everything at his disposal to, to meet us and abide with us. Now, maybe some of you don't have that kind of trauma that I'm talking about. I think most of us, at least minimally, have something that, that lines up over here in the spectrum. We've had people hurt us. We've had really hard seasons where we're trying to persevere and it just feels like we get hit and hit and hit. And there's some things that build up kind of like a plaque on our heart where we desperately need to behold Jesus, to transform and to step out of it. I think that we're supposed to live lives that look like inviting Jesus, even to those things that in our toughness and in our pride we say, oh, it's not a big deal. I'm going to get over it and move on that you wake up every morning thinking about it. When you're in your car, you're having the imaginary conversation, right? Trying to make it right and win the situation even though you feel like you're losing desperately. 
we need to invite Jesus into those places. A great way to ask him to, will you help me to just perceive your presence? Some people have a great sense about God. They may not hear anything, they may not see anything, but they know when he shows up. They just have a sense, you'll know. And again, we give God room to do it however he wants, and he does it a lot of ways in here. You can seek it out and look at it. He does, I mean, he does things like set bushes on fire that don't get you know, consumed. He can do it however he wants to make his presence known. We want to give him the chance to do that. So let's talk about if it's hard to ask him because the situation was so bad. And I know st statistically in this room, there are at least a handful of really bad situations. So I'm just going to go ahead and speak to it. If you're a parent, you don't send a child into the basement if they're scared. If the lights are off and it's dark and the heater makes crazy noises, do you say, just get down there and get over it? I mean, maybe some of you do. I would say that's probably not the best way to go about it. Just do it. Tough up. Get to the dark basement. No, they need some sort of education that it's not as scary as, as they think it is. Or even if they really do believe there's crazy stuff going down in the basement, you go with them. So if you're looking back on something that's hard, if you're looking back on something that's scary, God doesn't demand that you just go figure it out. He's going to go with you. So we always ask Jesus, will you just be near when we go back and look at this? Will you be near to me? There are a billion verses in here about his nearness, about God's ability to, to encapsulate you, to be your shield, to be your tower, to be your rock. Do we actually appropriate those? You can ask him to be near. Use the scripture. That's why it's here. Use it. I, Jesus, I'm going to sit with this verse until I, it gets into my, my gut, until it's into my core. I am not going into the dark basement without you. It's an okay thing to do. He wants us to do that. We don't go anywhere scary without Jesus. And let's talk about things to ask him because we're going to practice this in a minute. What time is it? Just so I... 10.34. Okay. We're going to practice it a little bit, and we're going to practice it more next week. You can ask Jesus anything, just like you would ask the people in your household anything. You don't have to tiptoe. In a healthy family, do you walk on eggshells about what you want to say? No. A lot of us come from not healthy families, so we've learned and it's been ingrained in us that we have to be on eggshells. The cross says you can ask him whatever you need to ask him. We want to appropriate what today is about. You can ask him. These are some examples when you're going back and saying, why do I always do this at work? Why do I always feel like that 10-year-old kid who got yelled at by the gym coach or yelled at by my mom? Why does this keep coming up? Can you show me, Jesus, where you were the first time that happened? Jesus, what did you think or feel when this happened? Sometimes that is all it takes. When you get perspective from Jesus that he was not ashamed, he was not bored by your trivial things. When you get his perspective, it is a game changer on your heart. I've seen people who've struggled with the worst trauma. I'm talking like post-traumatic stuff from Afghanistan and Iraq. And when they get that number two question, they're like, I'm good. I can move on. Because in the moment, they had no concept of what Jesus thought. They just felt traumatized. They felt wounded. They felt in pain. This is one of my favorite. Jesus, how did it make you feel? And Jesus can answer that in so many different ways. He can give you a sense of his countenance. 
He can give you a, a word that describes his heart. It is a game changer when you get Jesus' feelings on this. Number four, how did you feel about me? Because the enemy's lie is that you were less than, you messed up, you are now on the B team because what happened is so bad, you can never recover from it. That is not the cross. Jesus, how did you feel about me? Jesus, what is your truth? He, and that could be answered a billion different ways. In a scenario that you saw from your own perspective and you asked Jesus what was true, I can't tell you how many rape victims I've prayed with who when they asked Jesus what was true, they somehow, and it is miraculous, and it is the glory of God, got perspective on the abuser. And when you see that happen, there's no denying it because in their own flesh, there's no way they could get that without God. And they get some truth about what this person was dealing with, and they don't need to dive in any further, but it is enough for them to take their hands off of it and go, okay. I can move on. There's a, there's a truer thing happening here. They get his heart. For the scary things, people that have had major traumatic things or just things that really traumatize them, Jesus, can you bring your light? Some people, when they try to go back and look, it's so dark and it's so fuzzy and it's gray and blurry, kind of like a dark basement where you can't see everything. We just ask Jesus to show up and basically turn on the lights. And he's not like us. He doesn't have to flip the switch. Jesus in his glory, after the cross especially, imagine if he just walked in here right now. Imagine if all the lights were off. He doesn't have to scoop out darkness when he comes in. He comes in and it is light. So we just ask him, Jesus, will you, will you show up here? Will you bring your glory so this scary thing is not so dark? And we can see it. There's nothing hiding in the cracks. There's nothing <laughs> going to jump out like a, a haunted house and scare us. When Jesus walks in, everything gets exposed. That's his nature. His glory on display says we don't have to sit in darkness anymore. If you try to ask him about some of the things that have been harmful in your life and you just feel blocked, wouldn't you ask the people in your house, just like kids ask parents, why, why is this happening? Ask Jesus, why am I blocked here? Why can't I get a sense of where you are? One of my favorite questions is, Jesus, will you name what that is? Sometimes it's things we've already talked about in this class. Sometimes you'll get a sense of, oh, I, I am carrying major unforgiveness. Sometimes God, God in his discipline to his sons and daughters, it's good. He'll say, we need, we need to do this. This is why you're blocked. I would say nine times out of ten, it's often some sort of forgiveness issue that we need to deal with so that Jesus can come in and give you the perspective. He'll say, maybe it's this. Maybe it's this. Maybe the thing that we think is blocking us isn't really the thing. So we ask the Lord, Jesus, would you name what it is? And I've seen people get amazing revelation just by giving God permission to answer, what is it that's keeping me from you and getting healing here? I know that for some of you, this whole conversation is like, whoa, because then I get it. I'm not, I'm not you know, so far gone on this track of inviting <coughs> Jesus. I know that it might be new conversation, but when you pair it up next to the cross, especially on Easter Sunday, isn't it the right conversation to be having? It really is. That was not a one and done deal where he said, I'll see you in 50 years or whenever you die and get to the other side. That cross is about communion. 
and we're supposed to walk in it more than we walk in anything else. So we can invite Jesus on the happy egg hunt days and the potluck picnic because we love him and we just want to be encircled by that Trinity. Even more important, I think, we can invite Jesus to the places that we don't invite anyone else to. And Jesus, when he ascended into heaven, after he rose and showed up and showed up with people uninvited, just kind of made his presence known. It's his nature to show up, I'll just tell you. It's biblical, and if you talk to brothers and sisters on the other side of the world doing ministry, Jesus shows up a lot right now in other countries. All you have to do is read missionary statements where he's showing up in dreams, he's showing up and people go find the missionary in town, and they say Jesus, or they don't even know it's Jesus, but the man in white, gave me this, and it's the first chapter of Mark. It is, it is Jesus' nature to show up. And I've, I've, I'll tell you this maybe next week, but I've tested this with people. I've gone some months and said, Jesus, I just want to see if you really do this. And he does all the time. It's his nature to show up and make himself known for the purpose of his glory, for the purpose of our betterment, for the purpose of communion. I know it's, it may be new to think of it like that, but that's the beauty of the gospel. And when Jesus ascended, he sent his spirit, right? And the Holy Spirit is not the stepchild of the Trinity. It's not second rate. Jesus said, it's actually better that I go, so I'll send you my spirit. That spirit is nurturing, and it gives counsel and revelatory things. We are supposed to be asking the spirit of Jesus, help us, help us understand. Tell us why this is here. Make it known to us. So here's how we're going to end class today, and we may do some more of this next week. I just want you to just not worry about the people next to you, and I just want you to close your eyes. And I'm going to give you a minute to maybe revisit the thing that has harmed you, the place that you feel stuck in, the wounded place. Maybe just a thing that's kind of just troubling something you feel about yourself. Maybe it's an actual situation that you remember like it was yesterday. And I'm just going to give you a minute to remember it. The hard place, the place where your feelings were hurt, the place that you felt like even though you don't want to admit it, that God was not there. And it could be as early as this morning or yesterday. It could be years back. And if you're having trouble landing on it, just take a moment and ask God to show you the thing that he wants to deal with today. And in this moment, we as a community in this classroom, we're going to pour contempt on all of our pride that says we've got it and we're okay and we're moving on. We're going to toss all those crowns and look at the one who paid it all and made a way and is truth and is great love. Jesus who never leaves us, never forsakes us. 
Jesus who lives to make intercession, Jesus who gave his spirit so we could receive wisdom and revelation and help in time of need. And for some of you, it's a brave step this morning, but just ask him maybe for the first time, Jesus, will you show me where you were? Jesus, will you help me perceive your presence in that scary time and that hard time? Jesus, I felt so many things about myself. Will you tell me what's true about me even in that time? Jesus, I felt alone and misunderstood. Would you give me a sense of where you were and what your heart is towards me? Jesus, you conquered death. Surely it is no big deal for you to guide me into some truth about this time, about this situation. Will you show me what's true? I invite your truth. That is who you are. Jesus, I thought this about myself. Who do you say that I am? Will you remind me who I am, just like you did to Peter in the middle of, of what was to come? Will you remind me who I am? If you're stuck, if it's scary, if it's blurry, just ask Jesus for help. Ask him to go with you. Ask him to turn on the lights with his presence. Ask him to name what the block is. Just say, God, will you name it for me so we can deal with it as partners. It's a partnership in love. He is not a warden or a jailer. The cross says it's a partnership now. You can ask him for help. And as you invite revelation from Jesus, you can thank him for any place that you get. You can thank him even if it's a little bit hard or confusing. He is not a God who plays games with your heart. It's a process of being guided into truth. And you can work at it just like on the road to Emmaus. You can ask lots of questions. 
and the end result is communion at the table. So you can ask him, Jesus, just please help my eyes to see you. It's not muscles. They're not muscles I'm used to using. It's okay to say that. Jesus, I do not want anything to prevent my eyes from really beholding you. I know that's how I transform. Can I open your eyes? It is a good thing on Easter Sunday. You can do that all day long. You can keep tugging at his robe and say, help me with this. I, I don't want to sit in it any longer. And no matter what the issue was or what it is or the, the problem that happened or the traumatic thing or the wounding, even if you had some part in it, which often happens when we ask Jesus, there's a there's a little bit of a, oh, I, I did this. I, I added to this in just normal family life. We were asking our kids last night their favorite part of the stories of Holy Week. And my youngest son said, I love it when the disciples just jumped out of the boat into the water and went swimming to meet him. And you think about all the places that they failed, that their gut reaction when they beheld him was to jump in the water and go. It doesn't matter what happened. It doesn't matter if you had a part in it or not. Our gut reaction because of resurrected Jesus is to jump in the water and go. You can go to him and he receives you. He has what you need. Bless you as you, some of you start this process. I know it's a little scary. It's good. It's what we were made for. Happy Easter and we'll see you next week.